Hello and welcome to Tipsy Tolstoy, Russian literature for the inebriated. I'm Matt Garasimovich, a PhD student in Russian lit who is currently recording this podcast instead of working on my presentation that's due this week. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of like doing your PhD, except it's not recognized by your institution. Right. So just a couple minor differences. Couple minor differences. <laughs> yeah. Well, other than, other than that, I'm Cameron Lalana, and this week for two separate projects I'm working on, I've been reading uh, Paulo Ferreira's uh, Pedagogy the Oppressed, which is all about, you know, revolutionary forms of pedagogy, uh, and Edward Limonov's uh, The Other Russia, which is kind of like the opposite of that. Um, anyway, so they both touch on pedagogy, as you might imagine. Uh, Ferreira's actual pedagogy, Limonov, is like, what if we taught the kids how to use guns and then use them for revolution? <laughs> Everyone's going to die young, but it's going to be really fun. And because I'm reading them both at the same time, I can't help but mentally compare the two, and I can't physically stop myself because you really shouldn't. But I've been just tortured by like the fact that I can't can't separate my, my brain this week. So that's that's what I'm doing. Fortunately, nobody besides us and the couple people listening uh, probably know the difference. Uh, so it's, you're probably safe. <laughs> Between Paulo Ferreira and Edward Limonov? For now, you're safe. I don't think anyone who reads Paulo Ferreira or who reads Edward Limonov knows who the other one is. That's probably true. Yeah. Am I, no, anyway. You do. So enjoy. <laughs> well, this is a podcast where me and my good pal Cameron get to unwind from our week with some Russian literature and a drink or two. This week, we are back with parts four, five, and six of Eugene Onyegin by Alexander Pushkin. Uh, this is part two of three in our Onyegin series. So thanks for, thanks for coming back. Or if you started listening in the middle of it, you should, you should go back. That's, that's strange. Some of you think that's a joke, but there have been a couple series where we've got part twos and threes where they have more listens than parts one, part one. And why? So many questions. Cement part two. Why do so many of you want cement part two, but not cement part one? <laughs> <laughs> do you need to know if they build the factory? They do. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, so... If you're one of those people, please reveal yourself to us and explain yourself. <laughs> well, if you would like a say in what we're reading next, like maybe just part two of a book, apparently, for you <laughs> cement part two fans out there, or you would like to stop our impending pivot to mostly being about socialist realism, that joke doesn't land as hard after the cement thing, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash tipsytolstoy. For as little as $3 a month, you can keep your favorite Russian literature podcast running and join in on fun events like our recent habit of occasionally streaming visual novels. And as long as we're on the topic, we'd like to extend a thank you to our newest patrons, Eli, Caitlin, Brett, and Isaac. If you're not interested in Patreon but still want to help us out, you can leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or sign up for our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com. That's wonderful, Cameron. Everyone should do all the things that you said, and we would be just <laughs> super appreciative. But Cameron, before we get into... Onyegin, I have to ask you, because we forgot to ask at the beginning of last episode, and it's in our name, so it's pretty bad of us to forget. What are you drinking this fine eve? So, I mean, luckily, d don't worry, last time, as you probably figured out, still very drunk. Mm -hmm. um, just did, forgot to mention it. Yes. Uh, this week, uh, I've, I've been enjoying our narrator's um, ramblings, so I didn't get Bordeaux as the narrator's has has hypes up but i did get a uh a pinot noir very cheap pinot noir uh to have an not an equivalent just a red red to drink while we're doing this 
Uh, but how about you, Matt? Where, where are you doing? I got a real beer for the podcast this time. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, what, what do we got? Yes. Courtesy of Pipeworks Brewing here in Chicago. It's Classic. called uh, Friend with Two Boats. It is. I okay. Don't, I, it's really good. It, it it just has, I don't even know what kind of beer it is, but the, the, the flavors are passion fruit, orange juice, and coconut. Okay. It is very strange, but it is, in fact, 7.5% alcohol, and it comes in a pint. And I, and it's got some some unicorns riding jet skis. So nice. I I choose beers exclusively based on what <laughs> the weirdest labels I can find are. And they're often pipeworks. It's often pipeworks. Yes, and I do appreciate that. So shout out Pipeworks Brewing. Send me beer. <laughs> what kind of beer is it? I don't know. Right, fair enough. A little bit a little bit of uh, mystery. Uh, it just says fruit beer. Uh, oh okay oh interesting okay I, I don't know if i've had a fruit beer before but i think we might have had one in russia when we were at that crap anyway that's not, neither here nor there but it's precisely here and there. <laughs> at the at the craft beer festival when okay yeah but yeah maybe if you have a chance to get one get yeah. one coward <clears throat> <laughs> you know who's not a coward who uh lensky for engaging in the duel well wow. also starting the duel Wow. Uh, <laughs> Why was he dueling, Cameron? Well, let's find out about that. Okay. So, chapter four of Eugene Onegin, we, of course, as you probably remember, left off last time as uh, Eugene and Tatiana were in the garden, and Eugene has kind of eyes ablaze after Tatiana has sent him this letter confessing her love. And uh, we actually open up with some unrelated, <laughs> some unrelated <laughs> bits where the narrators just kind of talk about how, like, their forefathers really attempted seduction and he's like back in those days how the less you cared actually the more it seemed attractive so peak r slash nice guy. <laughs> I, I like that the that it's the part four starts with the narrator telling you how to neg someone <laughs> part four of maybe one of the greatest pieces of russian literature opens up on why do women only like douchebags <laughs> Nobody ever likes me, the narrator, and I promise I'm I'm really nice, but they, they force me to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, so... But it's ironic? I don't know, <laughs> but... Enjoy that three seconds of silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, whatever whatever the mode is these days, or those days... 300 years ago um eugene is quite good at it he's, he's quite good at breaking hearts and um engaging in it and never caring about who he leaves behind so as we're joining them now uh, eugene tells tatiana that at one point in time when he was in his younger you know he's like i don't know like 25 now and he's in the young days of being like 23 uh he might have taken her up on her love and her her letter but now that he's old he knows he's learned that happiness is not for him and he could never be just like married because eventually she would uh, uh she would just ask too many things of him and he would close his heart to her and that would make their marriage bad and really by turning her down now she's he's actually doing a very good thing for her and she should really learn from this experience and yada 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 and he does that thing where you like you open yourself up to someone and then they give you a lecture about it and you're like this is cool i love this which tatiana does she breaks down not not crying but she's like she was dying so Take that as you will, uh, and kind of uh, they they have a moment of like kind of minor physical intimacy of like him kind of her putting her head down on him, uh, feeling not great. 
And then the narrator goes off on another talk about <laughs> Kith and Kin, uh, and uh, as well as tender beauties in our lives and the difference between those three things, um, which uh, ends on the, the narrator uh, saying, just be yourself, be your whole care, your loved one, honorable reader, deserving object, there can be nothing more lovable than he. So we've gone from women only like douchebags to, um, actually, I don't need women anymore. I'm going my own way. Love so, yourself. Full MGTOW. <laughs> Are we a self-help book now? Um, love the narrator's interjections. Um, so following this, they, they kind of brings her back to the, the house. And um, Tatiana is struck by a greater sadness, as you might imagine, uh, that kind of consumes her going forward. And although no one can really say that anyone acted improperly here, the way that Tatiana is after that has kind of has the neighbors talking about, about Eugene uh, they already they were already predisposed not to liking him so that's you know increases the talk of the town um, again the narrator uh declare he that actually the narrator here declares his love for tatiana um and then goes off about writing poetry and <laughs> says bards of our cheerful generation have you read lines of your creation to your loved ones uh extolling them not to read the the elders the the ancients but rather to read their own creation which is really funny because he later admits to not doing that either <laughs> <laughs> and only reading his own poetry to his nursemaid. I I love the I love our narrator. He's such a such a great interjection. King. <laughs> so following this, um, Eugene begins to live as basically a hermit. Uh, he's just walking, reading, riding his horses, just you know, being a country gentleman who just does never never engages in social life, which is all the you know all the better for everyone around him because people don't really like him all that much, um, and he's pretty happy doing what he does. Um, as, as this goes on, uh, winter begins to set in real autumn, but we're getting closer to it. Um, and the narrator goes off here on a little tangent about the, the, you know, the right alcohols to drink, champagne, other wines before settling and telling everyone that really it's Bordeaux that's kind of the best for this. Um, and speaking of Bordeaux, we kind of drop in on an evening conversation where I don't think, at least in, maybe I missed it, the, the characters aren't named, but it's heavily implied and basically it's 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 lensky and and eugene who are chatting about what's going on um and uh lensky or vladimir is like hey you know it's gonna be this little thing at olga's family's house do you want to come by and he manages to convince eugene to to come with him and this chapter ends on the narrator i know i'm talking more about the narrator than eugene but man i love our narrator and he's talking <laughs> about how people like lensky see the love and everyone and feel good about life but um but but rather but opposed to the, those young young people who are just so sober and loving of life but piteous he the all-foreseeing the sober head detesting each human reaction every speech in the expression of its being whose heart experience has cooled and saved from being charmed or fooled um so just drink more and be more cynical think about that's it but i'm hearing here that's kind of what we do actually that's so. i guess we yeah we kind of have made a whole podcast out of that mm -hmm. maybe the narrator's being a bit facetious or ironic at times but this one you definitely you should take that advice yes yes or at least don't fault us for taking it no you can't pushkin told me to <laughs> and pushkin's never wrong correct uh so now we, we we fast forward a bit we're in january um it's too cold now to really do those old uh, you know activities it's really just everyone's kind of inside drinking really and going to you know events with each other tatiana at this point has grown greatly superstitious uh not only in positive 
but negative ways, seeing both negative omens everywhere, but also positive omens and going to, to older people who are closer to kind of the, these, um, uh, you know, a, a Slavic pre-Christian kind of tradition um, and, and begins to act on their advice, put things up, um, reading omens and such. Now, this uh, one night when she's putting such symbology overhead, uh, begins to have a dream of being pursued through an Arctic tundra by a bear. Um, and that bear uh, eventually, uh, understandably, she runs from it, eventually catches up to her because it's a bear. Uh, and instead of hurting her, actually carries her to kind of like a cabin where inside she hears what a party and peeking through a door happens to see a room full of monsters just all of the kinds of creatures of that are amalgamations of different animals and sea creatures and all this sort of stuff um and at the very end of the table there's eugene onegan chatting with everyone as if he belongs there absolutely not physically monstrous at all and she notices that the whole party seems to move at his beck and call Feeling comforted by that, she opens the door a little bit to maybe go in, at which point a gust of wind blows out the candles and monsters begin to run at her, but they're, they're stopped by Onyegin, who is like, she's mine, which is, you know, terrifying. Uh, at that point, uh, uh, Tatiana is, is woken up by Olga, who's like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And uh, as you might imagine, Tatiana is, is quite put off by that and, and spends the rest of the day reading um essentially it's just reading to kind of calm down from it she doesn't really understand what's what happened in that dream what it meant uh but she's understandably quite upset by it uh so a, a few days later we now are at the the party that lensky invited onegin to uh, which is tatiana's name day party um and, and there's a big crowd of guests and although you uh, you know vladimir told uh, onegin that the party would be relatively small it'd be just like a kind of a family gathering you know it's it's a it's a party um, which Onegin, not super happy to be in. He doesn't love this kind of stuff, as you've gathered from the rest of this book. And in fact, he really doesn't like the rest of these people, and, and the, the narrator spends time going through each one and their particulars, and he's like welcoming them in, which Onegin is having absolutely none of. Um, I hate to, I mean, I agree. This is like the worst situation in the world for those of us that don't like to socialize. <laughs> no, that's fair. I, I I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, if we were to reinstate the duel, like this would be a valid reason to do it. Like accurately assess the size of your gathering, please, before inviting. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna invite your antisocial friend, who everyone hates, right? Make sure it's not to the biggest party you could. Right. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, that's true. That's right. <laughs> so Onyegin is like. Yeah, all right. Well, fuck you, Lensky. Um, and he, when, when the, I think it's the mazurka, when, when the dance is happening, you know, the, the all-important dance, which determines social standings, let's say vaguely, Onyegin basically, like, kind of comes in and steals the dance of Olga from, from uh, Lensky, who, uh, it's also, I should mention at this point, that Lensky is like, when, when the narrators talk about reading people your poetry, part of the, what leads into that is that Lensky is like, Basically, does nothing but like read Olga poetry and all this kind of stuff, and none none of it's his own, which is why the the narrator goes off in that. But he's spending essentially his whole life just it revolves around Olga. He's he's eighteen. He's like fall in love for the first time, and he's got no responsibilities. So he's eighteen and a poet. What do you expect him to do? <laughs> <laughs> he's eighteen and he's a rich poet. Um, yeah, that's true. And speaking of being eighteen and and uh, you know a rich poet, uh, Onyegin is 
keep in mind when in his in his younger days he was quite quite the the, the rogue himself and made easily made people fall in love with him uh, and you know Onyegin is quite adept at using his charm upon Olga at which point Lenski is like n- not happy and he basically rushes out of the party at the same time Tatiana is like oh no I don't, I don't most yeah the guy she fell in love with is like dancing with her sister it's not you don't I, I don't I don't think I need to give you an analysis of why you wouldn't love that or why Tatiana doesn't love it or why Lenski feels slighted yes <laughs> most importantly yeah most importantly in in what happens in the next chapter so in 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 the following chapter um Tatiana is obviously continues to worry about it but in the next morning uh Onyegin re- receives a visit from a uh, from from a, a courier essentially from from Lenski, which challenges him to a duel, and Yegin is like, okay, fine, but is not super overjoyed about it. So um, Lenski is like, Lenski is he's 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 in a he's in a tizzy. He's not happy. Um, he's like, what was was Olga doing this intentionally? Uh, why why did you know what what happened? He's he's not not frankly like he's a little bit he's having some second second thoughts not maybe not about the duel but like about what what's going on right now so he he goes to to olga's family's house and you know he doesn't there's no confrontation because olga's like uh, it wasn't anything there it was it was onyegin trying to be like i dance now um and then lenski's like i'm 18 so i gotta kill you now um so he so he's like okay maybe this isn't so bad but he doesn't change his plans for the duel so he he leaves and he goes out to to go back to, to essentially get ready for this duel as as they're leading up into it they are uh both uh, primarily hanging with lansky as he's reading poetry and he's thinking about like i might die tomorrow which i mean yeah you challenge a guy to shoot a gun at you because you're kind of mildly mad at a dance but you know that's how duels work uh the next morning we go out to the dueling ground with lansky who uh, goes with the courier uh, zaretsky who's his second Onyegin uh, <laughs> comes late because he's Onyegin. He brings his servant as the second. As they go to the line, uh, they walk out their paces. They turn around to aim. But before Vladimir can even fire his gun, he's struck in the heart by a bullet and he falls dead. Bam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you ever just shoot your 18-year-old friend? <laughs> Bro, all the time. <laughs> um so onegan like kind of rushes over to to lensky uh but there's nothing to be done because he's extremely dead even the horses know he's dead when they load him up (laughs) yeah it's pretty (laughs) he's dead dead he's real dead yeah can't hit that point home enough (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so he's essentially he's he's gone he's he's buried um, and at this point, the narrator kind of goes off in his own direction, talking about poetry and imploring the reader to weep for uh, Lenski's end, talking through kind of like, obviously bad that being young and passionate like this led to him dying. But, you know, maybe think about some of it and, and talks about the lives of which we all live and says, you know, this is talking about men's thoughts, their plots, the words they speak, all the emptiness so killing. That's the morass I beg you note in which dear friends were all afloat. And we end chapter six. So duels, Matt, you love duels. You love doing, you love engaging in duels. I do love duels. This is the duel, by the way. Yeah. This is the duel to end all duels. Sure. What, what makes it the duel to end all duels? A couple things. Uh, probably we can talk through a couple of the points because I'm going to just go on a little bit of a limb and assume that 
there is at least one listener out there who is not aware of 19th century dueling conventions, I know it's a little crazy to assume. <laughs> Since this is something that's so, I mean, just so prevalent in everyday modern culture. Is, uh, yeah, naturally. How, how naturally, how duels work. So one of the interesting things that happens at the end that we didn't discuss, but uh, when Lenski's grave is described, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, uh, he's not buried mm. in the cemetery. Uh, Lenski cannot be buried in the cemetery because it, it's implied that, or I don't know, it may be actually explicitly written in their cartel or their dueling agreement at the beginning that the seconds uh, have, have arranged. Lenski's death is going to be ruled suicide, basically. And this mm. is very common for duels because at this point they were not legal to be doing. So uh, basically what would happen uh, is it would be suicide but everybody would know that it was a duel and maybe there would be some sort of investigation this is actually why Onyegin is going to leave kind of this area for a little bit uh towards towards the end after the duel to kind of get get away kind of not rouse any sort of suspicion yeah yes yeah, so it is a rule going to be rule of suicide which is pretty pretty big offense pretty big sin in the orthodox church so he's not going to be allowed to be buried um in an orthodox cemetery which is to say in russia at this time a cemetery so that's why he's described as kind of this this sad sort of just kind of off the road just between these pine trees he's just got a little monument if you will it's probably more just a Mm -hmm. little pile of dirt um that was just an interesting thing that i noted about the the end of the duel Hmm. that is interesting yeah that's not literary that's just (laughs) that's just facts baby (laughs) hitting you with that cold hard dual facts Um, that's what we're here for that's i know that's like i outside of the podcast for a second i don't remember if this is before after you entered your program but you texted me and you're like dude i think i think this is before because you're also this is when matt lore time was thinking about going to law school and you were like (laughs) i don't want to go to law school i just want to study 19th century duels yeah that's true or dual literature and now I do that, and I get paid for it. It's awesome. <laughs> Don't let your dreams be dreams. No, no. Just let the memes be memes. That's uh, <laughs> essentially what my life has become. Okay, you got more on duels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please keep going. I want to hear all you got to say about duels, because this is not something I know that much. Yeah, despite, I've known you for so many years, and you're like, oh, I want to go to PhD school, which is the technical term for it, to learn about duels. And then you want to start a podcast with me about this, and you never told me about duels. I'm offended, actually. You're welcome. Well, you're gonna get to you're gonna get a little dual knowledge now. I gotta make sure right. you were, I had to lay the groundwork to make sure you were adequately adequately. Prepped. That's fair. I've only known you for four years, and now now finally I'm we're breaking the barrier, like the yes. the final the final friendship barrier. I can yes. to learn about your your dual knowledge. That's right. That's right. It's too much. Um, <laughs> So it's the duel that never should have happened, basically, hmm. um, for a variety of reasons, which is really funny because the whole the whole thing, the whole novel is about fate uh, in one way or another. And the whole duel is framed as sort of this fatalist, determinist, like, uh, it had to happen this way. This is, this is fate just forcing the duel forward. Um, when hmm. in actuality... Onyegin gives Lenski plenty of chances to call the duel off. Multiple, multiple chances. The first one, it's noted that Onyegin is uh, like hours late to his own duel, which is a pretty big no-no. 
it really, you only had to be, I think, a couple minutes late, 10, 15 minutes, and it was more or less acceptable to call off a duel. So the fact mm-hmm. that Lenski was waiting there for him even while this was uh, happening was, uh, shows you kind of how bad Lenski wanted to have this duel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Onyegin shows up with his servant, which is an incredibly big sign of disrespect because uh, seconds have to be of equal social standing to mm-hmm. the people that are dueling. So him showing up with his servant is extremely uncharacteristic of uh, duels at this time. And then finally, the part of the reason that you have seconds is that's where your communication is supposed to go through. So he calls out to Lenski trying again to call off the duel and he, he doesn't. And so you're not really supposed to speak to the person you're dueling. You're dueling them for a reason. Uh, if you wanted to resolve the conflict, you do it before the duel or you have the seconds kind of hmm. speak, but you don't do it while you are dueling. So Onyegin gives Lenski three legitimate reasons to cancel the duel, and Lenski does not take him up on this. And Onyegin, despite being the sort of Byronic, I want to take on the world hero, kind of here, I don't think he is. He is forced into the duel, not because he wants to duel Lenski, because not only does he say he doesn't want to, and then give him three reasons not to, <laughs> he says the, 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 the reason that he's forced into it is because people are going to think he's a coward if he doesn't because he notes that Lenski's second is Zaretsky who is like a famed duelist like everybody knows him for dueling uh but he's also a really big gossip so if Anyegit is the one to chicken out of the duel everyone is gonna everyone in society is going to know and that's going to be the the end of his uh his social status that's like Mm -hmm enough to destroy a reputation at this time so despite the fact that allegedly he doesn't care about society he still feels bound by social conventions here kind of interesting that is interesting it kind of reminds me when we were talking about the captain's daughter something you said to me was that uh i think the captain's daughter was sometimes cited as a kind of an example of like russian not fatalism i guess fatalism of like oh this was this was fated to be this is how things had to go even if it was good bad that was just how life was but in many ways the captain's daughter is you could be read as kind of like an ironic take on that Mm -hmm. where it's like a lot of things in there didn't need to happen it was just chance or it was very active participation so it really even though if you kind of read it briefly you might be like oh yeah that that's fate it really had to be the actor's engaging with what they did um could this be read in the same way uh that you've got an ironic engagement with this this idea of like oh this is how fate must take us you know i've got to be this i've got to be this not that they actually think i've got to be this byronic hero but like you know i've got to got to save face i've got to do this because this is the right thing for me to do of course the reality is that at every stage of the way you could step away and Onyegin is trying to get Lenski to step away from his uh, 18-year-old right to to kill someone who mildly offended him over his, his over his bow. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I think there's a lot of kind of heavy-handed irony throughout the mm-hmm. novel, especially talking about fate. Though, the fact of the matter is that Pushkin really did take fate pretty seriously. Mm. Fate, fortune-telling, omens, superstitions, these were all major parts of it. He was extremely, extremely superstitious. But then again, throughout his life, he also spends much of his time tempting his own fate. So there's kind of an interesting play on what's going on there in the novel. So it's, I I don't know exactly what to, what to make of it. I won't draw any giant conclusions regarding fate because there's more for us to discuss, but that's kind of my, my, my takeaway on the duel. There's 
a lot with it. I I enjoy the duel. It's one of my favorite duels. <laughs> Top tier duel. What what are the other what what are what are other similar duels for you? Well, I like Fathers and Children with Bizarre. Sure. I I think he's hilarious because he's Bizarre. That's really my top two duels, to be honest. All right, fair enough. Both good duels. Good duels. Good duels. <laughs> Matt's. I've been telling Matt we should duel, but he's just like, I don't want to die, and like, I've got a girlfriend and a dog and a job, and I don't want to get shot. And I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are just excuses. It's just excuses. I know. They are. You got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I'm saying, I, as I found it, you can, you can get a black powder revolver mailed to your house. You you get one mailed to your house. I get one mailed to mine. We duel. This is going to get the podcast shut down. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a new branding opportunity. <laughs> like the new, the new, uh, new safe dueling system. We give you a real gun, then give you a body armor, and you can duel your friends. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I start getting back on topic. I want to talk about the narrator for a little bit because I, I know it's kind of clowning on him, but I, when I when I say I love the narrator, I really do love the narrator. Why do you love him? You want to be him? No, I don't want to be. He's, uh, I think uh, I think if the narrator was alive today, he'd probably be hanging out in the corners of the internet that I would not want to, I would fear to go. Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, I just, well, I just want to get kind of your perspective on him because I, so this is actually, this is something I've been meaning to. Unfortunately, I haven't. And in the research I've been doing, it didn't get a chance to touch on um, specifically analyses of like the the role of the w- the way in which uh, Onyegin, Lenski, Olga, Tatiana, despite being the central characters of this piece, are also subject to the whims of the narrator. Like if the narrator want to talk, wants to talk about his wine, that's what's happening now. We're gonna get three stanzas about why Bordeaux is better than Champagne, <laughs> uh, which is, is is hilarious and in in you know similar. Sorry, put my put my notes away from me right now, but it it does. I know last time I, I kind of touched on, uh, and again, this is not something that I was reading in literature, but just like this this feel of this feel of oral storytelling, where there is there's a central story here, but the the narrator is wandering off and on as 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 he pleases, more or less. Uh, where if he wants to be talking about the story, he's talking about the story, but if he wants to tell you, if he wants to lecture to you about. Lenski was trying to impress Olga, but he's reading old artists, and that's the problem with the, this tearful generation, that they don't read their <laughs> own work. You should, you know, if you're reading this, you should read your own poetry, your loved ones. Uh, but of course, I mean, I don't. I just read it to my nursemaid, but that's beside, that's neither here nor there. I'd love to, you know, watch the, the world around me anyway. Um, it's, it's just, it's a really interesting storytelling device making your own main character's background features of, of the story. He also uh, constantly draws attention to the fact that he's telling you a story. Yeah. Which I've think is funny like when he's going off and off about all this other stuff and he says right. in this fifth chapter i shall cleanse of its digressions when it ends and i'm just <laughs> like all right and now we're back to the all right and then he does and then he does do that um or yeah. sometimes he draws attention i there was i didn't mark it because i'm dumb but there was one point where he draws attention to the fact that like what the rhyme of the next line is going to be and he puts it in parentheses just to like break in he's like i bet you think it's going to be this don't yeah. you <laughs> um and then he doesn't do the rhyme because actually no he does because it's it's a meta joke because his him being like i bet you'd think this is gonna be the rhyme don't you isn't itself the rhyme and then he continues on (laughs) yeah it's it's good i i also love the narrator i think uh, upon rereading i was struck by actually how little you see of all of the characters Mm mm-hmm 
I, I don't know. I, I, the narrator, I guess, didn't make as big of a presence on me, clearly, the first time that I read it when I was an undergrad. Right. I mean, you're led to... It's called Eugene Onegin, and it's mostly about Storf Onegin and the people around him. Mostly. Um, how, which hides the fact that, you know, maybe next week I'll come back and tell you whether or not this is true. I think most of the stanzas are not actually about any of these characters. <laughs> most well, no, of the Cameron stanzas, I would have... Now I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back. This is this is this is something. Hold me accountable for next uh, next episode. I'm gonna go back and count about the number of stanzas which actually mention any of these four main characters, and when the other ones, though, and the ones which are just about something the narrator's kind of peeved about. Just turning this into a big digital humanities project, <laughs> just laying the the, the groundwork for some Tiffy Tolstoy grants. <laughs> that's that's well, that's important. That, that's what we're here for. I mean, it's mostly not about. It's it's. You know, I, I think at some point I saw um, Onyegin referred to as kind of like a wandering char- uh, wandering main character because he truly, mm-hmm. it's not that he wanders in and out of the story, that's incorrect, because that would imply that he's got some sort of agency when he enters the story. Uh, it's the narrator giving you access to these characters when he's decided he's done telling you about how when, when, my, when my father was a boy, he was <laughs> mean, he negged the woman around him and they loved it. <laughs> it's like being trapped at a family dinner when someone's <laughs> telling you a story. yeah. And you're like, please, please stop. And, and it keeps going. And then it's also one of the greatest works of world literature ever written. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, I know I, I, like, I don't want to harp on this again, because again, this is like no literature background. And normally I like to ground this. And normally I like to do that thing where I ground everything I say in someone else's opinion. So if you come for me, I can just be like, well, you know, it's really... Can't ever get to you. That's right. Yeah, it's really not mine. So I'm going to step on a branch here and just and reiterate that this does feel like and again, maybe this is a lacking in my part of understanding like European literature in this context. Maybe you saw this more often than just Onyegin or like Descartes' uh, meditations, but this kind of like just conversational style. And if anyone actually knows more about this, I'd please come into our Discord server, which you can find in our in the show notes for this, or send us an email on our website um, that engages more with like good plug. That was smooth. <laughs> smooth plug. Thank you. Um, that that engages more with this like very conversational tone. It it is interesting. It it, it feels again like a, like the gap between kind of oral storytelling and the written word, which a lot of the older like the Odyssey or Beowulf all now recognize as literature, which were in their own times actually you know oral storytelling. And this feels like this feels like kind of the in between. Um, obviously in an era when it was probably not intended, almost definitely not intended to be an oral, oral storytelling, but does have that same vibe as reading the Odyssey or, or, uh, you know, Beowulf, like I mentioned before, where it like, it's, it's feels like a written version of something that was really just meant to be told over, you know, told to your buddies as you're trying to get through the long months of winter when nothing grows mm-hmm. and you're just going through the last stashes of your food and drinking a lot of Bordeaux <laughs> to pass the time. Just all Bordeaux. No food, just Bordeaux. The, the life of the Russian aristocracy. Do you want to talk about uh, Tatiana some more? Let's talk about Tatiana some more. Yes, let's go back. Let's go. Do you want to go back to her dreams or, or Tatiana as a whole? I want to go back to the whole unit, Tatiana. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's go back to the, the whole absolute unit, Tatiana. There's probably the most famous stanza that describes her in hmm. part five, stanza number four, talking about Tatiana is the... She's Russian to the core because she loves the winter. And I remember the first time that I read this, I was just kind of my unnuanced view. I was like, yeah, that's right. She likes the winter. Yeah, that's good characterization. But then I was just, my goodness, 
the more the more I was reading this, when I got to this part, I found this line absolutely hilarious. Hmm. Um, after the narrator builds up this whole thing, <laughs> Tatiana, like, not only can she not really write well in Russian because she has to write her letter to Onyegin in French, I don't think she reads anything in Russian. She's just reading like Western European romantic novels um so i'm really not sure what exactly about her is uh makes her russian to the core um <clears throat> i know he kind of starts to answer this which is also kind of interesting i think he's he's relating her sense of like mysticism and whatnot to uh her her sense of russian identity what kind of more broadly which is this is an interesting point that he starts to bring in and i will link okay let me do biography okay. first, and then I'll, I'll link sure. back to poetry. So, stanza six. Oh God, I wish I could read them together, but God forbid the narrator puts it in a, in a way that's conducive for me to not have to read literally the entire <laughs> stanza. Uh, basically, she talks about how she would she would turn her carriage back if she met a monk that's dressed in black, or if a hare was going to cross her tracks. And these were things that Pushkin would do himself. So he's kind of writing himself into some of the characters. It's a well-known story that Pushkin was actually on his way to Petersburg the night of the uh, Decemberist revolt, but there was a hare that crossed his track uh, when he was in his carriage, so he turned back because this is an especially bad omen. And so it's just kind of funny to see these kind of the romanticism with the biographical detail uh, written into some of that. So maybe that maybe that makes her rush into the corp. I don't know. Mm. What do I know? I just have half a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you already made the comparison to to uh, Bizarre and Fathers and Children. Uh, maybe what what doesn't Turgenev call? I want to say Bazarov's mother, the last of a certain generation of of real yeah. Russian oh, women yeah. who are, are super great at canning, first of all, but also like super, you know, like really uh, what's the, what's Dvaiduhi? The, like they're very two soul. They're that Christian oh, the by belief. religion, yeah, but very yeah. Yeah. paganistic in terms of how they actually like live their day to day lives, and I guess it should be mentioned very anti Semitic. That was the other mm -hmm. thing you mentioned. Sure. Uh, that was <laughs> goes without saying, but you should say it. You should say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, kind of like that. I, yeah, this this idea of a certain idea of Russianness engaged in that spiritualism, which I, I guess goes kind of goes beyond that. Just r r Russian, or like I guess. It doesn't work so easily in English, but like the the idea of like Ruskia, like Russianness, and what I'm gonna like broadly term Rossiskia, like Russianness, where in like in, in taking over the Zuleka, obviously the territory that the Russian the Imperial Russian Empire covered also included a huge amount of of people who were Muslim or who were Buddhist or who were a variety of smaller religions or. Uh, you know, ethnic groups who had a kind of a sim, not similarly, but like a, a sort of even in all the actually, I can't speak to the Buddhists as much. Cause that's not a background I have, but uh, like the groups people here have like this kind of melding this this Rosiskia, uh, like the, the the Russian like non ethnic like just like territorial kind of Russianness, um, whatever your background, whatever your religion, having that kind of combination of the sort of pre uh, pre whatever religion is there. This this pagan. Uh, a pagan daily sense combined with that broader religious sense which mm -hmm. maybe makes tatiana <laughs> russian in the sense that that pushkin's talking about i think she forms the basis of what 
of this this like innate sense of slavic or russian spiritualism that gets continues to get taken up by other writers um which is interesting to trace but we don't have time to do it here we would need a lifetime (laughs) if you're a grad student looking for a project there you go it's probably already been done i just haven't read it but if you're a grad student who already did that project let us know (laughs) let us know (laughs) so i also saw if anybody happens to at all be interested in how pushkin is relating to other poets of the time sure he starts off with a quote from the poet Zhukovsky, who Pushkin was very close with him. He was in a like poetry semi-secret society with him. So he starts off with his quote. Zhukovsky was known for being a, a mystic, basically. He was really into mysticism. And he, well, I won't go into the Pushkin-Zhukovsky relationship necessarily, but Zhukovsky, one of the major things that he did for 19th century Russian literature was introducing the topos of the swimmer. Uh, Mm -hmm. So anything that has to do with boats or sails or people literally swimming comes from Zhukovsky. And this is kind of how 19th century poetry develops and really poetry in general develops for a long time, at least in the Russian tradition, which is somebody will introduce a topic or topos and it will then be rewritten by everybody after them. I don't know why it develops this way, but it does. It probably has to do with the fact that they were all studying together. Um, so they were all only reading, I mean, really, like a handful of people that were writing poetry. There really weren't that many of them. Um, yeah. And so I think Pushkin is partially rewriting the topos of the swimmer in Tatiana's dream, at least in in the beginning, the, when she's kind of, she's got the the kind of, the bridge that's just trying to go across and there's the rushing water and there's the scenery that's very kind of like an elegy it's got it's very stark contrast to the rest of the way that onyegin is written Hmm. so this is my kind of take on this i know Hmm. we don't have to analyze it completely now because thankfully next episode dr katya bowers is going to be coming back and She's already told me she wants to talk about Tatiana's dream. So Perfect. You cannot exhaust Tatiana's dream. There's been so much written about her dream. It's an extremely major part of the book. Yeah, hard to get around. Um I was going to I was going to say we should let's talk more about that, but actually, you know what? What I've learned over my years of uh when I was working in journalism is that uh, the first time you put a message out, it's always uh more powerful than the second time. So maybe we should close the door on too much about Tatiana's dream and, and uh open it back up once we have an expert with us before we spread any uh yeah i mean yeah with some you know let's we could save some some of it for them there's a, a lot of analysis to go on that to put it mildly yeah yeah the last thing i had is not particularly literary mm, okay just something i was kind of noticing the from the uh intrusion from the, the narrator if you will uh the way that the action kind of develops according to the seasons which Hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure other people do it, but the kind of romance develops through summer, autumn, maybe autumn, right. or maybe summer. Definitely, definitely before winter. Let's put it like that, because I noticed when winter is marked, uh, and then there's like a definite cooling off after that yeah. point. I, I think you're right. I think it's 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 summer or, or spring because autumn is is when Tatiana mm-hmm. goes full uh, uh, superstitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely at least romantically. When passions are stirred, 
obviously you still get to fight a duel in the winter, so it's not like people aren't angry uh, or or passionate about something. But just a little, a little something I noticed on this on this read around that I uh, neglected to pick up on my first time through. That is fun. Well, uh, I think I'm looking forward to hearing more things that you picked up on the second read around. But for now, I think that's really uh, all we had for this particular episode, which is a little shorter than we've been doing recently. Um, it's wild to think that in like we used to be 45 minutes as a full podcast. We've gone like an hour and hour to an hour and 10 as normal. But uh, for now, th- this is like a good staging ground for today for the next episode, where we'll be bringing it all back together and bringing in the extremely helpful Dr. Katya Bowers uh, to talk to more about what we're, what we're looking at here. Yeah, she she has a lot of good stuff to talk about. She said she wanted to talk about uh, Tatiana's dream, and then she said, it's all gothic, winky face, so prepare yourself for the gothicness. Take a trip down to Hot Topic, dye <laughs> your hair black, it's about to get gothic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had to dye my hair black before I went to Russia, because mm-hmm. it was blue before then. Anyway, you know what else is gothic? Um, a book by Dr. Katya Bowers, which recently came out, which we will link in the show notes because it looks really interesting. I, I would like to, I've, I've been planning to pick up a copy and maybe by the time that she's on, I will have one or we'll at least have it in the mail. Uh, anyway. You just say it loudly across the podcast waves. You can will it into existence. <laughs> <laughs> we did that with a random house. We'll do it with, whatever, with the uh, University of British Columbia. That's right. All your books shall soon be ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Matt, uh, I know this this is in our script, and it probably goes without saying. And people, have, our listeners are pretty smart. They probably figured it out. But I should ask you, what are we covering next time? Next time, we're going to be finishing on Yegan. So that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'll miss it. It's pretty good. It's been really fun. It has been, I love the duel. Love the duel. I, want, love I would love duel. to do a duel. Love to do a duel. So we're going to be finishing with part seven and eight. We'll return briefly to talk about Tatiana's dream. And then yeah, after that, uh, yeah, I'll have to let you know. I have to look at our schedule. We've got so many moving pieces going over the next couple of months between uh, guest episodes. And we're going to be doing an author interview for the first time ever, which is really cool and exciting that they reached out to us and that we'll get to do that. So, yeah, l- looking forward to it. But before we uh, let you go, I got to know, Cameron, on a scale from one to Yeltsin, how drunk are you? On your Bordeaux. I was hoping we could match last last episode where I got, I think, I want to say it was an eight. Uh, probably wasn't an eight, but I was drunk enough to think it was. I'm going to say it's like a five here. Per, okay. Like, okay. happy where I am. Definitely mm-hmm. could drown the rest of this glass and, and really, mm-hmm. really get into it as we're finishing it out. But uh, mm-hmm. how about you, Matt? Where are you? I'm probably sitting around a four because I would have to shut my fat mouth for long enough to actually drink my beer but i was too busy talking about zhukovsky so <laughs> that kind of impeded my progress on the drunk meter but that's fair you know when, once i finish this off off air we'll, we'll probably see a little a little increase in the uh sure. in the meter action there yeah for any listeners who are worried don't worry i will stay here i i commit this to you right now i will stay here until i've i've heard matt drink the rest of that beer off air that is a commitment from us to you yeah <laughs> This is what this is what accountability is called. That's right. Cameron's <laughs> the head of our accountability office. <laughs> really shouldn't be. No. And yet a lot of a lot of the org that Matt and I put together is a lot of the positions are like the, the the people working there really shouldn't be. They're just there by default because it's mm-hmm. just me and Matt filling these positions. 
It's kind of like being a podcast host, just here by default. <laughs> I started it, no, I cannot be getting rid of it. <laughs> We're pulling the curtain back too far. Uh, <laughs> Edit it out. No, I won't. I, I think this is what uh, some people might call uh, radical transparency. And you're like, what's the radical part of that? And I'm like, I don't know, but radical is a cool word. And, you know, I see a lot of people online, anytime they do regular transparency, they call it radical transparency, and suddenly it's revolutionary. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, before we let you go, we want to extend a radical thank you to all of our current patrons that we have supporting the show. Uh, we've got Jeff, Madeline, and Janice, Daniel, Darren, Daniel again. Jack, Paige, Jesse, Lou, Larkin, Irini, Brandon, Allison, Cole, Elise, Mysterious, Donor Dude, Joanne, Drew, Yitza, Alex, Stephanie, and Julie. Podcasting isn't free and grad school doesn't pay very well, so if you're interested in joining with our current patrons to keep the show running, take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash tipsytolstoy. The music used in this episode was Soviet March by Toasted Tomatoes. You can find more of their stuff on toastedtomatoes.bandcamp.com and also under on YouTube under the same username. If you're looking for other places to find us, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter under at Tipsy Tolstoy Podcast or join our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com. You'll hear from us again soon. Bye.